Welcome, you're listening to The Daily Weekly. This week, The Daily Weekly will be breaking down the emergence of easily accessible generative AIs, including both ChatGPT and UMGPT. UMGPT is the first custom-tailored generative AI developed by a major university. It was announced this August in a tweet from University of Michigan President Santa Ono. But what are the effects of AI in the classroom? What are the potential impacts of an AI developed by a university on student learning? In this episode, we try to find out. I'm your host, Quinn Murphy. Stay tuned. By nature of its generative properties, we were first able to ask UMGPT a few questions about itself. According to the AI, it was designed to provide information, answer questions, and assist with a wide range of queries. This could range from providing details about the university, helping students understand their courses, answering questions about the admissions process, and much more. It also states that it is a tool to make, quote, information accessible and easy to understand for users. End quote. When asked about the effects of AI learning in the classroom, it responded with a list of ways it can enhance learning, including accessibility, instant answers, personalized learning, enhanced engagement, efficient learning, and progress tracking. It also included a caveat at the end stating that AI is a complement to traditional education resources, not a replacement. Finally, when asked about impacts on educational integrity, the AI gave both positive and negative impacts associated with AI in the classroom, placing the positives before the negatives, and ended with a conclusion that, quote, education systems should put proper rules and guidelines in place to ensure that AI technology is used appropriately, end quote. However, the AI could not name any of the rules or regulations that the university had in place directing the user to the university's website and informed the user that, quote, an institution like UMish would also likely ensure AI use complies with broader regulatory requirements and ethical considerations, end quote. Next, content producer Riley Stipe interviewed a variety of Michigan students on what their thoughts about UMGPT were. So I'm Peyton, I am a junior studying architectural engineering. My name is Phil Gabriel and I'm a biology major and I'm a sophomore. So I'm Frank, I'm a CS major uh, through the College of Engineering, I'm a senior this year. I'm Daniel, I'm a sophomore and my major is econ. My name is Andrew, I'm a sophomore studying bio. I'm Akiro, I'm studying econ and poli-sci and I'm a sophomore. Have you ever used AI to assist you in a class? I used it to like help me solve physics problems and like give me ideas for like papers and stuff. Yes, I have. In what capacity? I've used it for a lot of different things. I use it to help not like I guess assist in writing essays and stuff like that, but I use it a lot to help if um, I'm solving for a code. I can put it in and like it helps find um, like errors in the code and like easily correct it. So I use that a lot for that and math equations, a lot of engineering problems around like help it. So I use that a lot. Definitely. I think uh, AI has come a long way. And I think before I used to just use AI to get all my work done and like my writing classes, all the classes I didn't really care about. But really, it can be a good tool. But obviously, a lot of people still going to be using it for everything. Yeah. For example, like I'd give it a prompt. I'd be like, okay, I need to learn this subject for this specific class. Can you ask me questions until you think I have an understanding of the subject? And it'll just keep asking me, are you ready yet? I'm like, no, are you ready yet? No. So it'll ask me questions of the subject. And then I'm like, okay, 
I'm doing really well. I'm good. Let's move on to the next topic. Yeah, uh, I don't use it that much. I think other students use it more. But one of the classes I'm in, like the professor actively encourages us to like debug our solutions by just going and asking ChatGPT. There's a lot of things in the engines that we're using that are very specific. So ChatGPT turns out to be pretty good at finding those things. I have not used AI to assist me on anything that was a large scale project. I have used AI to help study though. In what, in what capacity? Uh, I, I've used AI to, especially when professors don't have a good study guide or any uh, previous test questions, I'll input questions uh, that are similar and then ask the AI to write me questions like that. And that's helped me kind of study before. When you use the AI, do you feel as though you kind of learn the material in the fullest way possible compared to, say, you didn't use AI? I mean, I think so. Just because it gives me like a different perspective perspective on it, so... Yeah, I'll say like solve it, and then if I like don't understand how they got that solution, then I'll ask like, oh, what's the step by step for that? And it like will go through the processes, and that like helps a lot. I would probably go to my professor still, but if it's like a quick problem that I didn't understand, like when my professor taught it in class, say, then like I definitely use that to like, especially late at night, like when I need a quick answer for like something, and then it's I'll go to that for sure. You know, I think it's uh, it's kind of like a pick your poison kind of thing because it's like if you have a bad professor or not even a bad professor, I just mean maybe you're not connecting with the material in class. And then obviously a lot of students and other people have to go home, relearn it because they struggled in class. And I feel like that's kind of where it can kick in and help you. I mean, it doesn't always have to be there. I would love to just be in a class and understand everything. And I wouldn't have to use AI for anything. But while I have it, why not? Yeah. Uh, okay, and so how do your professors feel in the majority of your classes about AI? It's a mix. My engineering professors highly encourage it um, because they know that it has pretty accurate results, but they still say, like, use it with caution. Obviously, not everything's going to be perfect, but um, they do encourage it. And then for my, like, more, right, like, literature classes and stuff, they discourage it and are like we're not allowed to use it technically weirdly enough had some uh, new syllabus changes where they're like hey use ai use ChatGPT, whatever as long as there's no like form of plagiarism or no like actually finishing the assignment so they said use it for brainstorming using for ideas and like creation and all that kind of stuff which is uh, it's pretty surprising i didn't expect that going into the semester in my experience they're not like actively anti-AI, a lot of them usually just say you can use it, but like cite it and make sure to proofread everything that it says and like you're ultimately responsible for what you submit. Um, so if the AI gives you something stupid that's and you submit that, then it's still your fault. Um, I haven't met anyone that's like actively, actively against it and says like no chat GPT. Looking forward at education as a whole, do you think AI is kind of a positive influence or will have negative consequences? It could have positive consequences but like at the same time for the most part it's like kind of a negative because it takes a lot of the honesty out of work like teachers can't really tell how much of the students work is actually theirs or not and like it just makes it a lot easier to cheat and be unprepared for wherever you are in the world because you didn't really actually get an in-depth kind of knowledge what you're trying to learn in school. I think that AI like anything else is a tool and it can be used in a good way and in a bad way. I think it's kind of similar to the way that calculators were developed and people freaked out that kids wouldn't know like basic arithmetic. Um, I think that it should be banned up until a certain point to allow people to learn how to write properly and not sound like an AI at least or at least the way that we see it now. But I think that in the long run it's going to be a pretty useful tool in cutting down workload potentially and minimizing the need for uh, kind of uh, like busy work and stuff like that in companies maybe. 
Um, I think in general it's good. It's like a positive thing. It makes it easy to um, search things up. I feel like with Google, like sometimes you have to go like scroll pretty far before you find your answers. ChatGPT tends to do a pretty good job of giving you, if not the answer, like a couple other things to search for to find the answer. Um, the only problem I can see with it is like people trusting it too much because at least from my perspective, I've seen it do some pretty stupid things and then uh, like if people just trust it too much, it, it becomes a problem. So I think people should just approach it with caution and it'll be fine. How do you feel about the future of AI within computer science? Do you think it's going to have positive impact on kind of your employment opportunities or do you think it's, it's maybe going to have some negative impact? So I've heard a lot of people just saying like it'll be, you know, it's going to replace software engineers and like programmers are going to be out of jobs. I personally don't think that's going to be the case. There's a lot of like domain knowledge in very specific fields in CS that I think ChatGPT um, might have but won't be able to do as effectively as humans. And then there's also like a human aspect of software engineering, which is like maintainability, readability of code. Um, and just like extensibility that I suspect ChatGPT doesn't do quite as well yet. I'm not too familiar with like the code that it outputs. I haven't like asked it for exact code snippets before, but I would doubt that it can write, um, you know, really extensible, maintainable code, um, which you kind of need humans for, and you need that in the software industry, I feel like. The Daily Weekly then interviewed two professors here on campus, one who is pro-AI in the classroom and one who is anti-AI in the classroom. Content producer Isabel Dubove interviewed Lorenzo Garcia Amaya, a professor of Spanish linguistics at the University of Michigan. My name is Lorenzo Garcia Amaya. I am a linguist and an associate professor of Spanish in the Department of Romance, Languages and Literatures. I also co-direct the Speech Production Lab. Among other subjects, I teach linguistics courses in Spanish, including Introduction to Linguistics, Second Language Acquisition, and Teaching Methods. First, Professor Garcia Amaya shared his thoughts on AI generally. I see AI as this fascinating technology. Beyond its potential in our professional lives, it's a gateway to deepen our understanding of the world and its diversity. One significant advantage is how AI democratizes language. Linguistic profiling can sometimes lead to biases. However, AI can help individuals, particularly those who learn the majority language later in life, to make themselves more easily understood. Think about the diverse scholars worldwide. AI can potentially amplify their voices, bringing more perspectives into academic conversations. Beyoncé once remarked on the importance of diverse voices, and I think, in a way, AI can bridge that gap especially in academia. This technology could, in essence, broaden our academic horizons by welcoming voices from all over the world. He also talked about his impressions of the feelings about AI use in the classroom among his colleagues. The colleagues I converse with, who, mind you, are a fraction of the faculty, generally are open to using AI in the classroom. Many are curious, sometimes challenging AI to discover its limitations. A pressing concern, though, is students potentially using generative AI to do their homework, bypassing genuine learning. Professor Garcia Amaya then elaborated on how he uses generative AI in his teaching in classrooms and how he feels about it in the use of classrooms more broadly. Over the years, I've tuned into the difficulties my students face. I've even begun to predict some of their questions. So I've taken to posing these queries to ChatGPT. 
whenever I stumble upon inaccurate answers, which is more often than I had expected, I turn them into discussion points, either in class or during office hours. I mainly use AI as a teaching tool to highlight its limitations in linguistics. By posing a specific questions, we see its answers often lack depth or accuracy. This exercise helps students grasp AI's current boundaries and emphasizes the importance of human expertise in our field. Heed also notes why he believes that AI is beneficial in the classroom and beyond. Well, when PowerPoint first came out in the 90s, some senior faculty members thought that they could retire without touching it. Yet, they soon realized its value. Similarly, I believe AI will become a staple in our students' lives. As they adapt to tools like tablets for note-taking, we educators should keep pace, understanding the evolving methods students employ to learn. Professor Garcia Amaya was then asked how he thinks AI will change classroom culture. Absolutely, I genuinely think it will. Beyond the immediate applications, AI's influence on classroom culture is multifaceted. I've noticed educators incorporating AI's, uh, AI-oriented activities, not just as novel teaching tools, but also as means to uphold academic integrity. Moreover, AI promotes personalized learning, allowing each student to progress at their own pace, which can foster a more inclusive and adaptable learning environment. However, as with all technological advancements, it will also bring challenges. There might be a learning curve for both educators and students, and there is the vital task of ensuring that the human connection in education isn't overshadowed. In essence, while AI has the potential to greatly enrich our classrooms, it also emphasizes the importance of thoughtful integration to preserve the essence of traditional learning. He then gives his opinion on how to combat academic dishonesty using AI, and if, at all, AI should be limited in classrooms. Question 9. Should we limit AI in the classroom? If so, how? That's a challenging question. We've handed society this potent tool without much guidance, which is reminiscent of the initial smartphone era. It might take years to grasp AI's full impact on students and classrooms. The conversations we'll have in five or 10 years will probably be very different from today's. For now, I believe in starting a dialogue, engaging students, and collectively setting boundaries rather than imposing top-down rules. There is a profound need to re-emphasize the importance of integrity in education. If not, perhaps AI will advance to a point where it can discern a student's genuine work from AI-assisted content. Importantly, beyond this, for educators looking to develop punitive methods to carve misconduct, caution is essential. They must ensure that their judgment is unclouded by implicit biases. Such biases could inadvertently penalize some students more than others based on preconceived notions. It's vital to approach each case objectively, ensuring that every student is treated equitably. The primary goal should always be to foster an environment of trust and genuine learning. Content producer Ava Chatlosh spoke to Professor Ian Moyer, an associate professor in the History Department. I'm Ian Moyer. I'm in the History Department here at the University of Michigan. 
And this semester, I'm teaching History 200, Ancient Greece. And I'm also teaching History 499, which is the History Honors Program Thesis Writers Seminar. He shared his experiences with AI, specifically in regards to history in the classroom. Because of it coming to a lot of attention in the media, I started looking into this, you know, these programs and experimenting with them over the summer in anticipation of teaching this year. And so I did actually some experiments thinking, well, how is this going to work in the classroom? And I have to say, my initial fears that we were going to be in some sort of world of Skynet taking over a la Terminator or something like that were allayed. And I had a different set of fears, fears that the limitations of the capacity of generative AI programs would lead to kind of dumb uses of it that would cause problems of another kind. That's why my my short version of my experience with it over the summer. And that was as a result of trying to ask programs like ChatGPT or even the University of Michigan Gen AI program, asking them historical questions and then just seeing how they handle them. So thinking about it from the perspective of my own particular academic discipline. He also spoke about how generative AI affects the ultimate goals and results of college education. Well, there are a lot of goals, of course, for a college of education. There are the goals that a lot of people have to obtain professional training, get a better career, improve their situation and prospects economically. But of course, located as I am in the humanities and social sciences in a history department, I also think about the human being in a broader view in terms of their capacity to engage in the social and political world around them and make good political and cultural and social decisions. So from my perspective, using ChatGPT comes with a number of risks if you abandon your own intellectual and mental processes to ChatGPT. And what I mean by that is that, as I could elaborate, ChatGPT often provides incorrect information. It reduces the burden sometimes on people to make their own evaluations of facts, evidence, and opinions. They may have a tendency to reduce the amount of critical thinking that they do. And so broadly speaking, I say those are some of the general risks in an educational environment of using ChatGPT is that critical thinking skills might become attenuated. People might be prone to rely on these things and not do some of the work that trains your mind to make good critical thinking decisions. Professor Moyer then elaborated on a project he is doing with his students that incorporated generative AI. I'm certainly not one of the instructors that would like to ban AI from the classroom. And in fact, I have incorporated it in my classroom, but I've been incorporating it in a way that I'm hoping will educate students in the limitations of programs like ChatGPT. And so the assignment in my class is to have ChatGPT or another Gen AI program answer a set of historical questions, see what the program comes up with, and then evaluate that, basically fact check it and see how ChatGPT handles historical questions, how it handles especially historical evidence, and evaluate it as a program in comparison with what a historian would do so that students get an understanding of the differences between how Gen AI works in answering questions 
and how someone working within the discipline of history uh, would answer those same questions, especially as it concerns the use of evidence to substantiate claims. That's the, the gist of the assignment. It's a very straightforward first writing assignment where we practice historical skills in the use and evaluation of evidence. So it's really centered on actually history skills rather than Gen AI skills. But the point is to understand what Gen AI can and cannot do so that people can make good decisions going forward as to how, why, and when they might use it or not use it. Finally, he discussed some of his concerns about the development of the technology, as well as discussing some concerns with real-world applications of generative AI, including the accuracy and ethics of use. ChatGPT Gen AI is not actually trained to check facts. It's trained to produce a plausible a linguistic message that sounds like language, that might refer in general to what information it has available in terms of predicting what might be plausible, but it is actually not trained really to check facts for the most part. And that's a good example, I think, of, of the problems with it. I've done similar things. So I also tested some previous assignments from my history classes where I ask a question and have students write a short essay on a historical question. And I always, of course, as most historians do, require that you cite evidence in support of a claim that you're making. So I asked ChatGPT a question about ancient Greek history. And it wasn't that the answer was necessarily wrong. It was because it was a very general question that is can be answered based on general knowledge. But then I asked it to say, okay, could you repeat that answer and please provide evidence for your claims? And at least half the time or more, it would pro provide evidence but the evidence was totally made up. It was fictitious evidence. I checked the references that it gave me, and they bore no relationship to the claims that were being made. And in some cases, they were nonsensical. So this is sort of my, my fundamental problem with using ChatGPT in a historical context, is that programs like this are simply not designed to really check evidence and use evidence in a way that a historian is trained to use evidence. The summer, while I was getting to know about ChatGPT and how it works, I signed up for an account and I thought, okay, you know, how would I use ChatGPT as a tool to make my work more efficient? And one of the ways I might do it is like, okay, well, I want to I want to know what's in this book about this subject. And so I want to maybe get a summary, a ChatGPT summary of it. So I had ChatGPT provide a summary of a book I wrote over, over 10 years ago now. So it's definitely within the time frame when ChatGPT is being trained on internet data. And I asked it, please give a summary of my book, Ian Moyer, Egypt and the Limits of Hellenism, just to see what happens. It provided a summary, but it was totally fictional. It was a book that did not exist. It was didn't even have the right number of chapters compared to my book. It just kind of invented a book and said, this is a summary of Ian Moyer's book, Egypt and the Limits of Hellenism. And so that's like a good example there. Professor Moyer also gave his opinion on if AI should be banned in the classroom and why he holds the opinion he does. And I think the, the way forward is not necessarily to try to ban it, but to get students to understand what it is good and not good for, and also what they lose by using it. Grades, sometimes <laughs> they will lose grades, but also they will lose the capacity if they don't exercise their capacity to evaluate evidence properly. They will never develop that. 
that's really what's fundamental here is training students to understand what is, is is useful about chat GPT and what is not useful, what is dangerous. And this is leaving aside, by the way, a whole set of concerns I have of an ethical nature, you know, which I also have. I have a huge array of concerns about the way these corporations have operated and the lack of regulation and restriction on them. But I myself personally don't think the answer is to to ban these things. One, I don't want to police this. <laughs> I don't want to spend time that I could be spending talking with students about ancient history, helping them develop critical skills and evaluating evidence and developing narratives about the past, understanding our relationship to the past. I want to spend time I want to spend time doing that and I don't want to spend time simply policing whether people are using chat GPT. I'd rather have the focus be on the intellectual advantages of getting some training in the discipline of history and how that can apply to their life, you know, their political, social life going forward. First of all, I have concerns about the exploitative labor practices that have been reported that places, you know, Gen AI companies have been um, using uh, in order, let's be clear, to train chatbots not to be so brutally offensive as they could be based on training on the collective data of the internet of the last 30 years. As many people know, Nigerian labor was used exploitatively and at very low pay in order to filter out and train these, these algorithms not to put so much deeply disturbing and offensive data. And many of the people I've read in, in media reports that did this work were traumatized, in fact, by the kind of content that they had to deal with in working through that. So I think there's really deeply disturbing ethical concerns on that front. I have concerns about the use of uncompensated and uncredited intellectual labor. A lot of people who put a lot of work into developing content that then went onto the internet legally or illegally was then used to train these various bots. And they're getting nothing from that. And these corporations are benefiting and profiting from their labor without giving any credit or any compensation to the people who generated that content in many cases. I also have concerns about privacy and information that we might use or divulge, the information we might divulge to one of these companies in our interactions with ChatGPT that can then be used by corporations that, as we've seen over and over again, have a very, very dubious track record as far as protecting privacy. Finally, of course, I have major ethical concerns about the so-called hallucinations that ChatGPT creates. That's euphemistically these mistaken facts that are put out by ChatGPT are sometimes called hallucinations. But I think we have to be clear that ChatGPT, despite the disclaimers that they put sometimes in the front of their, their interface, they are giving answers that often totally misrepresent the facts. And people are often persuaded that these are factual representations when in fact they're not. And so it just adds to the problem of misinformation that is rampant in many spaces in our society. And that includes, of course, lots of harmful, biased information. There's a lot of material that is out there on the internet that these programs are being trained on that includes a lot of dangerous and harmful bias against particular marginalized groups. And that has been shown over and over again uh, with lots of people's experiments with Gen AI programs, that these programs are reinforcing bias in various ways. Those are just a few of my ethical concerns. I think if you wanted to know 
what a very bland, middle-of-the-road, generic opinion about various things in the world might be based on the internet's knowledge of the last 30 years. It's a great go-to source for that. It's great at giving middle-of-the-road average opinion on things. Although, again, that comes with its own problems. And it's also fine for if you just want to get a bit of information about something as a starting point, but it's only a starting point, as with so many things. I think you could ask it simple questions, and then if you were able to fact check it, that would be a starting point. I think there are limitations to that. I'm not denying that there are uses to that, but I think when you weigh those up against all of the concerns that we've been just talking about. I'm not convinced at the moment that artificial intelligence, so-called, is really that great right now. I'm open to a future in which things have improved and it might be more useful. But at the moment, I'm less scared about some apocalyptic vision of uh, Gen Gen AI taking over the world and more scared about the consequences of it being a limited tool that's misused. Episode 3 of Season 15 of the Daily Weekly Podcast was produced by Executive Editors Claire Jones and Hannah Devereaux, Senior Content Producer Quinn Murphy, and Content Producers Isabel DeVove, Ava Chatlosh, Riley Stipe, and Sean Kelly. The Daily's theme song is composed by Gibson Gillette Barons. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode where we will explore if college and university rankings matter. And as always, thanks for listening.